Cast Ball Show. Brought to you by JohnPLE.com. What the f you think is my opinion of it? I think it was f- put that in. I don't. So the tribe drops its third straight on this trip, six to one to the Rangers. For the Indians, one run on, let's say, one hit. That's all we got. One goddamn hit. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. I'm talking about the past, I'm talking about the history, I'm talking about what's great about this game of baseball. There's so much stuff that we talk about. I would say I would know, but I would say the reason why they want to pass is baseball going into the highest baseball sport that has gone into baseball, and from the baseball angle, I'm not going to speak of any other sport. Let me start by telling you this. I have never used steroids, period. Jerry, just remember it's not a lie if you believe it. Joe Carter with a three-run homer. The winners and still world champions, the Toronto Blue Jays. And this he sucks. Well, he's out. Is what, he's out. Yes, Brady is out. Look at, look at this. Brady is out. And uh, Damon Mack. I'm not here to argue about other sports. I'm in the baseball business. This can run cleaner than any baseball business ever put out in the hundred years of the present time. Sell the team. Oh, yeah. Welcome aboard. John P. Ellie, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network, coming at you for the Super Bowl Sunday or Super Bowl weekend edition of the Passball Show. MTR Radio, of course, download the iPhone or Android app. If you're listening on your computer, you could take the programming on this network along with you. And, you know, Super Bowl Sunday, of course, a big weekend in the country, not just for the uh, football fans, but for the average American. And if you're not a football fan at all, if you don't like the sport, if you despise the sport, odds are you have some sort of plan for Super Bowl Sunday. And you're going to be catching a game somewhere with a group of family and friends or at some sort of event that has something to do with the Super Bowl. And, you know, I, I've been planning something for a couple of weeks now that I'm pretty happy to uh, to do because obviously, you know, the past ball show, I've done a ton of interviews with current former Major League players, people associated with the game of baseball. But I was able to record an interview with a Hall of Fame football player, Pro Football Hall of Famer Lenny Moore who played with the Baltimore Colts from 1956 to 1967, uh, was part of the 1958 team that won the NFL championship, uh, played his college football at Penn State actually before Joe Paterno became the head coach over there. And here's a guy that, unfortunately, because of the times, and we've talked about it with Joe Durham, we've talked about it with Monty Irvin, we've talked about it with many other uh, African Americans who have tried to play professional sports in this country, the 1950s were not any better than the 1940s or the 1930s. Now, there was a slow amount of progress that started to be made there in regards to uh, the African-American player getting the fairest opportunity. And it still didn't exist in the time that uh, Lenny Moore was coming up. And let's be honest, to make it into professional sports, whether we're talking baseball or football or basketball or hockey or boxing or golf or tennis or anything you can imagine, it, it's, not, it's not the easiest thing to do. Let's say the level is all the same playing field. If you're competing against just other athletes that have similar abilities to make it professionally, it takes a lot of talent. And, you know, the unfortunate thing about 
uh, you know, the segregation era and, you know, something that really should not have ever happened in this country. But, you know, unfortunately it did. And we all have to take responsibility for it. We all have to look back and say, hey, this happened. Even though I was born in 1979, uh, you know, I can't say that, hey, it's not my problem. It was an extreme problem in this country. And the way it's set up now, you could say that there's been a lot of progress made. But that, that made, uh, you know, to my point before, the, the athletes that are competing against just other athletes have it hard enough. But when you're judged just because you're a different race or a credence or something like that, and there's a stereotype about you that's going to make the decision easier to choose somebody else, that makes it even more not fair. And Lenny Moore gets the opportunity to play professional football, become a Hall of Fame running back. He's inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 1975. He's one of the premier halfbacks to ever play in this game. And, you know, it, it's, a, it's a shame to see that, you know, he would have to go through that. But to be the athlete that he was, let's be honest, I mean, he, he, he had to be probably better than the best in order to get the opportunity that he got. And, you know, the fact that he was able to get through all that adversity and not only do that, but succeed at Penn State and succeed in the National Football League and eventually succeed at that level to get himself in the Pro Football Hall of Fame is a story that needs to be told again and again. And hopefully you guys enjoy this spot here. Lenny Moore, Pro Football Hall of Famer out in Virginia, phenomenal guy. And, uh, you know, it was definitely my pleasure to have the opportunity to speak with him. Good afternoon. This is John Pielli. I'm here with Hall of Fame running back Lenny Moore. Lenny, thanks for having a couple minutes. Fine. Thank you. Yeah, Lenny, of course, you, uh, you know, you growing up, did you, uh, did you always have ambitions to wanting to be a football player? Now, did you did you uh, did you enjoy any one of the sports uh, more than the other, or did you just kind of enjoy playing whatever sport the season happened to be? Yeah, whatever the season was, that's the one that uh, we was in, and uh, thank goodness for that. You know, I didn't particularly uh, uh, say that. Football was it, because I didn't have any knowledge. It was just a question of getting out there and becoming a part of whatever the sport was. And thank goodness I was able to do it. Yeah, now, you ended up uh, going to Penn State. Now, when you went to Penn State, did you go there with the intention of pursuing, uh, you know, in addition to your academics, your, uh, your ability to play football? Primarily, because I wasn't sure after high school uh, what I was going to do. And um, 
when I found out that Penn State offered me the scholarship, that was something to look into. And um, I wasn't certain really what I wanted to do. I didn't really handpick anything, but um, it just happened to fall. Now, obviously, you went to Penn State at the time uh, before uh, Joe Paterno became the head coach down there. If you can, just for a minute or so, just uh, describe what the atmosphere was like and uh, what, you know what it was like with the coaching staff and everybody that you had leading the way at Penn State. Well, uh, thank good goodness for um, the folks that was at Penn State. Uh, Rip Angle was our head coach there. Joe Paterno was coaching the quarterbacks. And um, so Rip and Joe did a fantastic job. And, um, you know, it kind of rubs you a funny way when you look at what has happened up there at Penn State with the greatness that I know of what all the coaches were about and thank God, God for them because they certainly guided me because um, I didn't know or have any particular interest in any of the particular sports to the degree that they said, well, if I do well here, maybe I'll go into professional football or whatever. I had no idea. And uh, my guidelines were all put in place by the coaches there. And it was a question of, uh, you know, just come to us and we'll guide you. And that's primarily what had happened up at uh, Penn State. And once again, John Piella here with Hall of Fame running back Lenny Moore. Now, while, while you're at Penn State, was there a certain time or a, you know, where you talk about, you know, being prepared and getting, you know, getting yourself ready and the coaches preparing you that you realized you had a real future in professional football possibly? Not really because, uh, you know, I think race at that particular time was an uh, issue. And uh, so it wasn't a question of, uh, you know, all things being equal. Yeah, and, uh, all I could do is just make a choice and go ahead. But it wasn't that way. Because, it were, you know, there were racial issues. Now, did you did you find it at any time, you know, while you were while you were in college, that you know you felt that maybe the race issues were were something that was going to be overcoming to you at any point? Well, it was a distraction, and um, you know, I said, "Gosh, you know, here we are, vying for the positions and things like that," but. Uh, 
feel like I wanted to relax and maybe go to a movie. I couldn't go to this movie or I couldn't go to this restaurant or whatever, you know. So uh, it wasn't like open house. Just go ahead and play the sport, do your thing, and go on and let it fall where it may. So uh, it's just a thing of uh, dealing with situations that unfortunate we really shouldn't have had to deal with, but that's the way it was at that time. Yeah, no question. And, uh, you know, of course, society has come a long way since then. But, you know, you end up being uh, drafted by the by the Baltimore Colts um, you know, in the first round. You end up, uh, you know, bursting on the scene. You know, tell us a little bit about, you know, what, what your earliest memories were of your professional football experience. Yeah, it was just a question of uh, am I good enough to make the scene? And, uh... So it wasn't like, hey, you automatically have it, because when I came to Baltimore, um, there were folks I had to beat out for the position, and uh, I just thank God that uh, God has given me the ability and the talent to... Uh, move in, because we had to play freshman ball at the time. I went to Penn State. Yes. And then from freshman ball, there was a question of uh, making, doing your sophomore year, making the uh, varsity, you know, the big team. So uh, it was just a question of, am I good enough? And uh, whatever. But uh, the good Lord blessed me and uh, got me through. Yeah, no question. And, uh, you know, of course, when, when when you get into the NFL, did you feel that there was any uh, any ground made in regards to the racial issues that existed before? Like, you know, slow moving when I uh, came into professional football. It was almost like uh, preordained that uh, there were certain positions that were like taboo for uh, any of those of color. And uh, quarterback being one, and uh, definitely uh, very few coaches. Uh, the quarterback position being one, and... Uh, being limited the number of, uh, you know, the uh, situation. In other words, they say, well, we can't have no more than five on the team or no more than maybe seven, but we're not going to go past that figure. And... Um, but that was the thing. It was a little bothersome. Yeah, you know? yeah I'm sure it had to been. I'll tell you, you know. Uh, 
Did you, did you feel like you had the opportunity, though, that if you established yourself as the best there, that you were going to have that, that fair chance to show all you got? Hopefully. Okay. You were hoping that that's where it was going to be, fair and square. But I did see in other positions and uh, situations that... Uh, it wasn't fair, you know, from the standpoint of uh, we're only going to keep so many on the team. And uh, so it just wasn't a question of the best person for the position. The position is yours. So uh, we could, you could see, you know, some of those things happening. Yeah, once again, John Pialli here with Hall of Fame running back, Lenny Moore. Now, 1958 season comes, and you, 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 know, you know, with the team that you got, and you obviously lead, uh, you know, the Colts to an NFL championship. Take us a little bit back to that season, and, you know, let us, let us know, you know, obviously that had to be a special moment for you, right? Well, at that time, uh, you know, it was the first world championship for the Baltimore Colts and uh, and then beating the New York Giants in the first sudden death overtime game you know ever happening it was uh, quite a feat yeah, and I tell you, it really had to be, and just uh, I'm sure the adrenaline through you as well as uh, everybody on that football field had to be pretty high. And it's just, you know, you know once you get into that sudden death period, you know, one of, them, one of you guys are going to be the champion and the other one's not going to be. <laughs> Without question, not knowing. But uh, fortunately, you know, we had a lot of talent on that uh, Baltimore team. And um, we hung together and fought through it and uh, was able to win that sudden death overtime, the first one. And uh, Johnny Unitas being our quarterback at that particular time was uh, superb in his... Uh, handling the offense, and uh, John pretty much called a lot of his own shots, and uh, he was very talented in uh, calling plays. This was the first time, I think, that uh, they ever came across what they called the
Yeah, of course. Yeah, now, do you actually do you actually remember the first time you guys were in a huddle in a in a in a drill like that? Maybe about two minutes to go, something like that. Uh, was, was this something that you guys had practiced, or did it kind of come on the field as a surprise? Yeah. Oh yeah. You just can't go on. <laughs> no, you had to practice it, and uh, we did. We practiced it. Uh, thank goodness for. Uh, we Eubank, who was our coach at that particular time, made sure that we practiced it in case we were ever put in a position where we had to use it because of uh, the running of the clock, controlling the clock, and uh, things of that nature. And that's what the two-minute drill was about, controlling the clock. You know, of course, you know, you have, you have a you know, phenomenal career, you know, you end up, uh, you know, really being one of the premier rushers of your time. Um, in, in regards to what you've seen since you've retired, um, would, do you approve of the way the game, the NFL, has kind of changed from the way it was when you played? <laughs> yeah, it has. Um. Again, John Piala here, Hall of Fame running back, Lenny Moore. Now, and I'm sure you've heard over the last, you know, 10, 20 years or so, a lot of, a lot of players have, you know, complained of injuries to the head, you know, results of concussions from when they played football. Did you ever feel any lingering effects from the time that you stopped playing towards your life where it is now? Uh, good question. I'm not sure. Uh, I know. I got kicked in the head in 1963, and I missed a few games there. Uh, as far as a lot of folks filing for the head injury, the concussion, things of that nature, uh, you know, uh, are being compensated for that. 
So uh, it's not a wide open thing. I mean, only certain guys were given information and they filed for it. So I don't know, because uh, thank God, uh, you know, I can do things of that nature, so I'm not mentally disturbed to the degree. So, uh, but I don't know. You know, I uh, praise God and thank the Lord that uh, I think I'm basically uh, physically sound, but I don't know. <laughs> Based on uh, what? I forget. <laughs> you know. No, I understand. If you forget, then your mind starts wandering, man. Is that, am I forgetting because uh, the blows to the head? Or what? Maybe I ought to get myself checked out. No, I think and, uh, that's a great point. Now, that's that's a great point because you can figure a lot of players are probably in the same boat that you know you know you know it might not be as uh, as obvious to some as others and you know like you like you said you forget something and you wonder hey did did that have something to do with when I played or maybe it's uh, yeah. maybe it's me getting just a little bit older. Yeah. So I'm doing our time. Uh, there were a lot of head head injuries, a lot. And like I said, uh, and then I being one, because like I say, I was kicked in the head, you know. So um, praise the Lord, I hope uh, nothing's wrong. <laughs> but uh, I would have filed just to be on record to uh, check and see. Because maybe I could be, or could be compensated yeah. like those that have filed. No, very true, man. And of course, yeah, that information didn't get to many of us, to all of us. Or this is what you do to get yourself checked out. You know, I keep hearing from other people, but. Uh, you know, I don't know. And our last question, Lenny, of course, you end up being inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 1975. You know, I'm sure, sure, you know, it must have been a, must have been a great event, you know, to finally uh, just uh, get the acknowledgement for what you meant to the game. And now, now, what is, what is... Go ahead. I'm sorry. What, so, what what did you what did you feel at at that moment in regards to how you your place in pro football history will be remembered? Nothing but God's blessings. Nothing but God's blessings. Uh, everything football wise, I used to carry a little miniature Bible in my right tripod, and that was my protective piece that I carried on the field throughout all those years that I played. And uh, it was just a question of knowing who's in charge and who's in charge of your life. Well, I know God is in charge. Absolutely. And I made it a point that I thanked him and praised him and uh, prayed a lot 
Great Austin. And then, of course, we had uh, the great Raymond Barry was on our team that used to lead us in prayer. And, uh, but that was a part of before we went out for the opening kickoff to make sure that we give God the credit for us being in the position that he allowed us to be and protected us. Yeah, no question. Listen, Lenny, I want to thank you for having some time. I really appreciate you having a couple minutes to speak with me. And uh, uh, I wish you, you. wish you the best of luck to continued success, and God bless you. And God bless you too, my man. Thank you. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that spot there with Lenny Moore, Pro Football Hall of Famer for the Colts, 56-67. to 67. Of course, played his college football at Penn State and, you know, was a great running back. Probably, uh, you know, you look at the era that he played, was certainly the best of his time. John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. We're going to take our first break of this program. We'll be back with a lot more stuff going on after this. I'm Ron Sulpizi from the MTR Sports Report. Not sure where to eat? Then listen to these reviews. Awesome. Amazing Greek food. Everything is fresh. Great family restaurant in the heart of Ocean City. Katina's is an Ocean City staple. When you've had your fill of pizza, cheesesteaks, and ice cream, head for Katina's. Katina's Gyro Restaurant, 501 East 9th Street, Ocean City, New Jersey, 609-399-5525. Check out their website, katinasfoods.com. That's katinasfoods.com. Order their famous Mediterranean dressing, and they'll ship it right to your door. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter, Katina's Greek Restaurant. In your face, all over the place. We're online, 24-7, 24-7. You're listening to the hottest internet station, MTR. This is Lady E, one of the many broadcasters at MTR Radio. If you're listening to mtrradio.com, fantastic. Que bueno. But if you want to take us with you, we have an app for your smartphone that lets you listen to us 24-7. Just go to Google Play on your Android device or the iPhone App Store and download our app, MTR Radio. Taste is empty vlog. Go ahead, laugh. Laugh all you want. But the fact of the matter is, this is this is the setting for the greatest story ever told. Okay? Face empty vlog. Faces empty vlog. Faces empty vlog. Faces empty vlog. Faces empty vlog. Welcome back, John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. Just a reminder, tweet at me, at John underscore Pielli. We keep the conversation interactive, and you know, obviously great to catch up with the Hall of Famer, Lenny Moore, and we're going to get back into baseball now. And, of course, the blog, check it out, johnpielli.com, Bases Empty Blog. My articles are also featured on mtrmedia.com. So if you're listening on the computer, just click over. You can read a couple of the articles that I've written recently. Um, one I got into was kind of a follow-up article that I wrote from a couple weeks ago. I was profiling Jim Cott and Jim Cott's career, the way it ended up going, and he was certainly on the track on a pace to be a Hall of Famer, and he ends up uh, becoming a reliever for the last uh, four, five, six years of his career, which some people say uh, allowed him to pitch longer, 
But what if he had stuck around as a starter for maybe two or three of those six seasons? And he could have gotten to 300 wins and probably would be in baseball's Hall of Fame right now. And, you know, you look at, you know, within him and some other pitchers that are on the outside looking in. And then you look at one of the pitchers that is in baseball's Hall of Fame, and that's former pitcher Epa Rixey. And Rixey pitched with the Philadelphia Phillies and the Cincinnati Reds from 1912 to 1933, had some longevity, pitched in the majors for 21 seasons, and in 1963 was inducted into Baseball's Hall of Fame along with John Clarkson, Sam Rice, and Elmer Flick. And, you know, the odd thing about it is you look at his numbers, and he, he ends up uh, winning for his career 266 games, but he lost 251, and 251 losses is the most ever for a left-handed pitcher. He had a 315 ERA, a 1272 whip, uh, also pitched his career kind of split between the dead ball era and the live ball era. 1912, obviously, up to about 1920, and then 1920 to 1933 in the live ball era. He was consistent. He was good, but in my opinion, he wasn't great. The four 20-win seasons he had, 1916, 1922, 1923, and 1925, you can make a case that those were his only above-average seasons. A couple things you could say on a positive side is the fact that he managed to give up few home runs in spite of the increase of offensive output. Prior to the live ball era, he pitched on the Philadelphia Phillies when they won the National League pennant in 1915, a World Series they lost to the Boston Red Sox. He fielded his position very well, five years finishing the entire season without making a single error. Uh, the fact that Rixey is in the Hall of Fame, to me, neither here nor there. I do think more thought needs to be put into pitchers such as Cott, like I mentioned, and Tommy John, and eventually Andy Pettit, who will likely not make it into baseball's Hall of Fame. Cott, for, you know, as a refresher, won 283 games, lost 237, and you know Tommy John finished 288 and 231 for his career. Andy Pettit... Finished with a 253 and 136 record. That's a 626 winning percentage. Back to Tommy John. He had a 555 winning percentage. Cott's winning percentage was 544. Even Jamie Moyer was 269 and 209 in his career. That was good enough for a 563 winning percentage. Perhaps your concluding thought would be that Cott, John, Pettit, and even Moyer should be in baseball's Hall of Fame because Rixie did. I'm not going to go to that level. Obviously, Pettit has admitted to using performance-enhancing drugs. And let's be honest, Moyer was a good pitcher for a while, but was never amongst the top of the game. I do think Jim Cott belongs in the Hall of Fame. I would not object to Tommy John getting his day. But it looks to me that the Baseball Writers Association of America and the Veterans Committee honored, honored Rixie for more for pitching 21 seasons in the big leagues as opposed to being best in the game then obviously that makes the other pitchers kind of stand out a little more. And you say, hey, honor, you know, Cott for pitching 26 seasons, John for pitching 26 seasons, Moyer for pitching 25 seasons. It doesn't work that way in baseball's Hall of Fame. And it's unfortunate that it ended up uh, working out that way, that Epirixi gets in. The one sad note is that Rixie will always be the first uh baseball player in the history of the game to be elected into the Hall of Fame while he's still alive and pass away before the actual induction ceremonies, which was kind of sad. You figure a guy gets his day, he gets the call from baseball's hall, you know, knowing that he's going to come in and doesn't live for the actual ceremony itself. And, you know, to, to this day, he is the only player to get the call while he's still alive and pass away before the actual ceremony itself. But moving on, John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. Reminder, tweet at me at John underscore Pielli. 
Um, I found an interesting post that I saw on one of the social media sites, and uh, I, I kind of found it interesting to break it down this way. The Baseball Hall of Fame, we're talking about the Hall of Fame as, as it exists right now, but let's say every team in Major League Baseball history can only have one Hall of Famer. Now, that is a strong statement in itself because you think of all the greats to play in this game and all the greats to have played for a series of teams. But, you know, looking at it from a different perspective to say every team has their one Hall of Famer. Now, if you were going to do that, what would it be? And I broke down every Major League Baseball team in regards to that because, you know, there's a lot of different great players to play for every team. And, you know, some teams obviously like the Yankees. You think if the Yankees could have just one Hall of Famer, think about how many players were great and amongst the best of all time that would not be in the Hall of Fame. And But this would be the Hall of Fame of individual teams with one player. And I'm going to go team by team. And I started with the Boston Red Sox. You know about their storied history. Babe Ruth, Tris Speaker, Carl Yastrzemski, Carlton Fisk, Jim Rice. Um, you know, the guy obviously that stands out is their immortal, Ted Williams. And, you know, one thing I did want to throw in as a little caveat, you know, you say you're the best player you ever had, and maybe it's stronger than that because it's the best player that you ever had that's in the Hall of Fame. So it's going to make it interesting for certain other teams that may either never had a Hall of Famer or had Hall of Famers maybe make a cameo appearance with them. That would be their Hall of Fame player because that's the criteria. The criteria is a player in a Hall of Fame to have played with that particular team. So Ted Williams is obviously an easy one. Babe Ruth's an easy one for the Yankees. You know, in spite of Mickey Mantle, Yogi Berra, Lou Gehrig, eventually Derek Jeter, there's obviously the Yankees have had the greatest and most storied history in the history of Major League Baseball. But moving on, you get to an interesting one, the Tampa Bay Rays, the Tampa Bay Devil Rays. Very difficult to declare a Hall of Famer for a team that has only been around since 1998. One Hall of Famer has ever made a stop in Tampa. And for that reason, Wade Boggs would be the representative for the Tampa Bay Rays. The Detroit Tigers and move on because you got some great teams there. you got great players without K-Line, Mickey Cochran, Jim Bunning, George Kelg, Hank Greenberg, Hal Newhauser. And the list obviously goes on. But similar to Baltimore, when you have an immortal uh, on, on your team to have played for you, the choice is not difficult. Ty Cobb for the Detroit Tigers. Moving on, I'm going to go with the Baltimore Orioles here. And, you know, you look at guys like Jim Palmer and Brooks Robinson and Frank Robinson, Cal Ripken. You know, let's be honest, Cal Ripken was the face of that franchise. And the Baltimore Orioles, who were previously the St. Louis Browns, had Satchel Paige and Urban Shocker. But, you know, Cal Ripken's a pretty easy choice for the Baltimore Orioles as well. And I'm not going to really go any further with that and dispute that. But staying in the American League East, the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, let's be honest, they had two real standout Hall of Famers play for their team, Dave Winfield and Roberto Alomar. Dave Winfield probably is more seen as a Yankee than any other team. Spent a lot of time with the San Diego Padres as well. But for that reason, that's why I would go with Alomar. Alomar was probably his best when he was with the Toronto Blue Jays, and the numbers will certainly back that up. So Roberto Alomar for the Toronto Blue Jays. And moving on. The Cleveland Indians. The Cleveland Indians have had guys like Cy Young, Tris Speaker, Napoleon Lajoie, Bob Lemon, Addie Joss, just to name some of the Hall of Famers that put on a Cleveland Indian uniform and starred for the Indians. But one guy stands out in particular, and this is going to be the first pitcher I'm going to mention, and it's Bob Feller. And Bob Feller, obviously, is Mr. Cleveland Indian, is the Hall of Famer that should represent the Cleveland Indians organization. Uh, to go on a little further about this and about this depiction and the, you know, the scenario that I painted here, I'm including pitchers in the argument as well. 
So you could talk about the greatest hitter against the greatest pitcher. If they both played for the same team predominantly, I'm going to be very picky. I'm going to choose just one for each one of those teams. So moving on, you got the Minnesota Twins, who were previously the Washington Senators. And think about it. You got Harmon Killebrew. You got Rod Carew. You got Kirby Puckett, Burt Blylevin. And one guy, in my opinion, stands out. He obviously spent his entire career with the Washington Senators, one of the greatest pitchers of the game. The, the second most wins in the history of Major League Baseball, the greatest strikeout pitcher of his time, and obviously held the strikeout record for Major League Baseball history for a long time, and that's Walter Johnson. And let's be honest, if you're going to summarize the history of the Minnesota Twins slash Washington Senators, Walter Johnson is the guy that should represent that franchise and the Hall of Famer for that organization. Kansas City Royals, I think it was pretty easy. George Brett kind of stands out there. And, you know, I'm just going to kind of move forward with it and go on to the Oakland Athletics, who, of course, were the Philadelphia Athletics. And think about it. You think of the Oakland Athletics, and obviously you think of Catfish Hunter, Reggie Jackson, Raleigh Fingers, Dennis Eckersley, Ricky Henderson, amongst the list of Hall of Famers to have played for the Oakland Athletics, but one of the most dominant right-hand hitters to ever play this game. Spent his, most of his career playing for the Athletics, and that's the Philadelphia Athletics. So I would give Jimmy Fox, who obviously was one of the most dominating right-handed hitters to ever play in this game, as the representative for the Oakland slash Philadelphia Athletics. The Houston Astros is going to be an interesting one because, you know, right now there's only one player who played a significant amount of his time in his career with the Houston Astros, and that's Nolan Ryan. Joe Morgan, who came up with the Astros, never really dominated until he became a Cincinnati Red. Craig Biggio and Jeff Bagwell will probably have their day, in my opinion, but they're not, you know, right now they can't be in contention because they're not Hall of Famers. So that's why I go with Nolan Ryan there. And I'm going to move on to the Texas Rangers because. Uh, you know, Nolan Ryan is also going to be that face or that Hall of Famer that represents the Texas Rangers slash Washington Senators. And, you know, until another player goes into either Houston or Texas in the Hall of Fame, you're going to have to hold Nolan Ryan as the guy who has the title for both of those franchises. And, you know, you go to the Los Angeles Angels, obviously the California Angels, the Anaheim Angels, the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. And a couple guys you can mention, Reggie Jackson, Rod Carew, Burt Plyleva, Nolan Ryan, who spent time with the Los Angeles slash California Angels. But one guy kind of stands out, and to me that's Rod Carew. Reggie Jackson would probably be the favorite for the Oakland Athletics if I wasn't counting the Philadelphia Athletics in there. And, you know, guys like Blylevin and Ryan were also known as other, other team stars. Uh, Blylevin with the Twins, Ryan with the Rangers and the Astros. So that's why I go with Rod Carew here. The only team in the American League that stands out, you know, in regards to this is the Seattle Mariners. You think in a couple of years, Randy Johnson will be there. Ken Griffey Jr. will be there. And right now there's only one Hall of Famer that ever put on a Seattle Mariners uniform, and that's Gaylord Perry. And Perry did not pitch very long for the Seattle Mariners. And similarly to Wade Boggs and the Tampa Bay Rays makes it kind of a little bit of a skewed argument to, to put in there. But once again, John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. I'm going to go over to National League when I come back from this brief break right here on the MTR Radio Network. Feel free to tweet at me at John underscore Pielli. And don't forget, check out JohnPielli.com. Five, five, four, four, three, three, two, one, one. 
You're listening to MTR Radio. We have ignition. Strap in. You're about to listen to the hottest sounds on MTR Radio. And you're listening to MTR Radio. A flippin' out radio production. And you've got it. Hot, 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 hot. Blaze, blaze in the steel. Always covering the most current topics today. Check us out on mtrradio.com. We will offer packages to advertise on our website and on MTR Radio. Get your name in front of over five and a half million people. Advertise on MTR today. Email info at mtrmedia.com for details. Case is empty, blah. Go ahead, laugh. Laugh all you want. But the fact of the matter is, this is this is the setting for the greatest. Story ever told, okay? Faces empty blog. 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 Welcome back, John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network, and again in the National League. And once again, we're talking about the franchise type of player, the Hall of Famer of each organization if you can only have one Hall of Famer. And that obviously would mean there would only be 30 players in Baseball Hall of Fame. And like we mentioned in the, the previous spot about the American League, Nolan Ryan held the title for two different teams. But I'm going to move on, and we'll start out with the Washington Nationals, who were, of course, the Montreal Expos. And two guys stand out, Andre Dawson and Gary Carter. And to me, Gary Carter really was the heart and soul of the Montreal Expos team. And Andre Dawson had a very good career with Montreal and eventually with the Chicago Cubs. A close race, but I go with Gary Carter for the Washington Nationals. No debate in regards to the New York Mets. Gary Carter would be a second choice, but Tom Seaver is called the franchise for a reason, so Tom Seaver gets the nod for the New York Mets. Now I'm going to get into a very interesting one here, and that's the Philadelphia Phillies because the, the younger Philadelphia Phillies fans or even some of the older ones, ones that have followed that are still living right now, are going to say Mike Schmidt, Steve Carlton, may throw in a Robin Roberts or a Richie Ashburn. But to me, I, I have a choice of three in regards to the Philadelphia Phillies, and none of those players that I just mentioned are on the list. There are three players that stand out to the greatest Philadelphia Phillies and are all in the Hall of Fame, and I'm talking about Chuck Klein, Pete Alexander, and Ed Delahanty. And, of course, Pete Alexander is also known as Grover Cleveland Alexander, 373 wins for his career. And give him a little credit, too. 190 of those wins came with the Philadelphia Phillies in his first eight seasons of professional baseball pitching. But the guy, to me, you know, you have to look back and remember that his career started in the late 1880s. But, you know, he hit 347 for his career. He hit over 403 times. And if you look at the gray ink test, which is something that you want to look at, you look at either on baseballreference.com or the back of a so-called baseball card, the amount of times that he led the league in a bunch of different categories. And to me, Ed Delahanty gets the representation and deserves the nod for the Philadelphia Phillies. The Miami Marlins, who were the Florida Marlins. And, you know, you, this is another situation where only one Hall of Fame player put on that uniform. And Andre Dawson missed out with the Montreal Expos to Gary Carter, but he gets the nod for the Miami slash Florida Marlins. The St. Louis Cardinals had some great players to play for him. And to me, this was a little more of a debate than I thought it would be. 
Um, you look at Stan Musial, he's Mr. Cardinal, Stan the man. If you tell the St. Louis Cardinals fans to name one player that stands out to you, Stan will get the nod by a mile. But to me, it wasn't as much of a landslide as I thought it would be. Rogers Hornsby had the best part of his career with the St. Louis Cardinals. He had a little bit of a falling out there where he ends up getting traded, being part of several different organizations. But, you know, in a time when the 1920s became the live ball era, Rogers Hornsby really was the Babe Ruth of the National League. As he, you know, hit over 400 several times, hit for a ton of power, became the face of the entire National League. He hit 358 for his career, 359 wearing a uniform of the St. Louis Cardinals. But, you know, I can lean towards Hornsby until you look at Musial, who hit 331 for his career. 3,630 career hits. This was the highest total in National League history until 1985. He also hit 475 homers, won three NL MVPs, and three World Series titles. Uh, enough said. The Milwaukee Brewers, who of course at one point were known as the Seattle Pilots, the team that's in the National League now, who stood out at being an American League team up until 1998. And there's only one player that stands out for there as well. Robin Yount gets the nod over Paul Molitor. And Yount Obviously, it was star shortstop before he became an outfielder. Uh, Molitor ends up leaving before going to the Minnesota Twins and Toronto Blue Jays to fill out his career. But Robin Young gets the nod for the Milwaukee Brewers. The Cincinnati Reds were, in my opinion, one of the more debatable ones because Johnny Bench, Joe Morgan, Frank Robinson, Ernie Lombardi, you can make a case that any one of these four players could be that face or the Hall of Fame candidate for the Cincinnati Reds if they only had one. But here's a guy who ends up having a ridiculous career. He ends up hitting 500, almost 600 home runs for his career. Uh, Ten seasons were in the Cincinnati Reds uniform. He won a rookie of the year. He won the MVP three times leading the league in OPS. And he was the start of the big red machine. And I'll give the nod to Frank Robinson for the Cincinnati Reds over Morgan and over Bench. The Chicago Cubs, there's only one Mr. Cub, and that's Ernie Banks, who obviously gets the nod over Billy Williams and Ferguson Jenkins. The Pittsburgh Pirates, the, listen, another team that's had a storied franchise history. You look at what's happened you know, from guys like Roberto Clemente, Hannes Wagner, Paul Wehner, Archie Vaughn, Pied Trainer, all have put on the uniform of the Pittsburgh Pirates, but there was one all-time star that played for the Pittsburgh Pirates, and that is Hannes Wagner. Hannes Wagner was one of the greatest players of his generation, probably the best player in the National League for the majority of his career, so that's where I go there. I'm going to go with the Dodgers, and here's another interesting one because Jackie Robinson you know, certainly stands out for what he did in his career, obviously breaking the color barrier and his place in American history. Sandy Koufax, you know, deserves some credit. Even Dazzy Vance, who pitched 18 seasons for Brooklyn, was the 1924 MVP. Um, Don Sutton won 233 games. There's Don Drysdale. There's other guys that you can mention with the Los Angeles slash Brooklyn Dodgers. To me, there was only one absolute star when he said one of the greatest players when he played. And remember, you know, Willie, Mickey, and the Duke. And that's why I give Duke Snyder the nod for the Los Angeles Dodgers. San Francisco slash New York Giants. Uh, I thought this was going to be another land, landslide. I thought Willie Mays would come out you know, in, in, a, in a dominance of this, but it didn't work out that way. Christy Mathewson and Willie Mays were a big uh, debate that I had. And Barry Bonds, you, you had to throw in, except he's not a Hall of Famer. Uh, according to the voting system. Willie McCovey is in there. But here, uh, to me, it was a neck-and-neck -neck race between Mays and Mathewson. And what I have to say about Christy Mathewson is, 
you know, the, you know, he led the ERA, you know, league in ERA five times, whip four times, K to walk ratio nine times, completed 465 games and threw 78 shutouts, obviously won 373 games. So we're talking about pitchers and we want to put them on equal standing. I give Christy Mathieson a nod over Willie Mays. Colorado Rockies have not had a Hall of Fame player. Todd Helton is an interesting candidate when he becomes eligible in five years. Larry Walker is a solid candidate, but he's having a difficulty gaining traction by the Baseball Writers Association of America. The Rockies currently do not have a Hall of Famer and would not have one represent them right now. The San Diego Padres, another easy one, Tony Gwynn. And then I'll move on and we'll talk about the Arizona Diamondbacks, who eventually will have Randy Johnson in a Hall of Fame, and certainly he will. Uh, wear the uniform of the Arizona Diamondbacks or the Seattle Mariners. So both of those teams will probably have Johnson representing them once he becomes the Hall of Fame, a Hall of Famer. But right now it's got to be Roberto Alomar for the same reason that I said about Gaylord Perry before and Nolan Ryan getting for the Astros and the Texas Rangers. He's the only player that is technically in the Hall of Fame that has ever put on an Arizona Diamondback uniform. So I'm going to go through it real quick. First, the American League. And I got Babe Ruth representing the Yankees, Ted Williams representing the Red Sox, uh, Roberto Alomar representing the Blue Jays, Cal Ripken representing the Orioles, Wade Boggs representing the Rays, Ty Cobb representing the Detroit Tigers, Bob Feller representing the Indians, uh, Walter Johnson representing the Twins, Eddie Collins representing the White Sox, George Brett representing the Royals, Jimmy Fox representing the Athletics, Nolan Ryan representing both the Astros and the Rangers, Rod Carew representing the Angels, and Gaylord Perry representing the Mariners. And on the National League side, Tony Gwynn with San Diego Padres, Roberto Alomar for the Diamondbacks, nobody for the Colorado Rockies, Christy Mathewson for the New York slash San Francisco Giants, the Dodgers, Duke Snyder, the Pirates, Hannes Wagner, the Cubs, Ernie Banks, the Reds, Frank Robinson, the Brewers, Robin Yount, the Cardinals, Stan Musial, the Marlins, Andre Dawson, the Phillies, Ed Delahanty, the Mets, Tom Seaver, the Montreal Expos slash Washington Nationals, Gary Carter, and of course the Atlanta Braves uh, in Boston and Milwaukee will be represented by Hank Aaron. So, you know, obviously a, a lot of debate involved in there because there's so many different players that you could bring up and say, hey, how come not Willie Mays? How come not Jackie Robinson? You know, and you look at so many different teams that had that face of a franchise type of player. And when you really break it down and say, who was the greatest player to be in the Hall of Fame and wearing a particular uniform, it creates a ridiculous debate. And hopefully you guys tweet at me at John underscore PLA. Anybody you disagree with, please feel free to let me know. I'd love to keep the discussion interactive. But, you know, big thanks to Lenny Moore for being part of the program in his first hour. Pro Football Hall of Fame running back for the Baltimore Colts. We got uh, interviews coming up with former Major League pitchers Jerry Casal and Ray Crone coming up in hour number two right here. Passball Show, MTR Radio Network, back in five minutes. Chicago, the heartbeat of America, yesterday's Chevrolet.